Welcome one and all to episode 127 of the original Draft Breakdown Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Cox. With me tonight, my co-host, Justin Higdon. And Justin, uh, college football is, well, crazier than ever. Um, I think we got a great taste of what happens when you have a bunch of young quarterbacks on the top you know, teams over the last two weeks. And now... I mean, it's still, it's still the same kind of chalk at the top, but for the most part, it it feels like it feels like the only team with a young quarterback still in it is going to be Alabama at this point. Don't you agree? Yeah, Bama and uh, Bryce Young ha- have been the only team that has really like picked up where they left off last year. You know, you look at the other playoff teams. And you look at Ohio State, they've kind of had, obviously they lost to Oregon. They struggled before they pulled away at the end last weekend against Tulsa. And then uh, Clemson, what, what's going on with their offense? What's going on with DJU? It looks like a real problem right now. But Bama got out ahead, and then Florida came back, made it close. But Bama held on. And so now Bama is sitting there and we're we're gonna go through our top five and bama is sitting there they're still number one because they were able to hold on against the ranked team and this week they get more of a walk through again against southern miss so they've held the fort down and they have that yeah they have that young quarterback and there hasn't been as many hiccups for alabama as there have been for these other teams so um We'll see what happens going forward. We've talked about, you know, they don't have the best running game that they've had in the past. Um, certainly it was surprising to me once they got out ahead to, uh, on Florida that, that they allowed Florida to get back in that game. But they still, it really still doesn't feel like they've been threatened. And the fact they can hold on against a ranked team, easy number one. And uh, easy number two as well this week. Yeah, Georgia continues to be the second best team in the country. Um, when they'll be tested, we you know again, obviously you got to give it up to that Clemson defense, who I would say right now is probably the second best defense in the country um, after Georgia, though. And Georgia, you know, handily beats South Carolina forty to thirteen. They get Vandy on Saturday again. Nothing should be a breeze. Know, yeah, nothing, nothing to it. Uh, they had JT Daniels back, and so there's no quarterback controversy. Um, they they get him back. They score 40 points. SC's a lot better than Vandy in my book. So I think uh, they should cruise again this week. Yeah, I mean, if you're buying Arkansas, then they have them in two weeks. Um, you know, they've got Auburn, who you and I are not big on. The week after that, but really, it's it's October thirtieth. I think is when you f- see their first true test, unless you're really buying Arkansas because their schedule. And we talked about it in the previews. Georgia had Clemson, and then if Florida was good, that was really it. Um, mm-hmm. Arkansas surprising some people, but for the most part, you look at you look at what Georgia has coming up, and there's no reason that they won't be taking on Bama in in the SEC championship game. Um, 
especially with Haynes King's injury and, and him still being out for Texas A&M, they're, they're looking susceptible, you know, coming up this weekend even. But – yeah, and we're going, talking. About, we're going to talk about Arkansas a little bit more on the Patreon show this week. Yeah, and so you've got two SEC teams in the top five. One Pac-12 team. Oregon remains at number three. Uh, they beat a Stony Brook team who's not very good, and they get an even easier team this week in in <laughs> U of A, who um, literally might be the worst D one program in the country. <laughs> I haven't I haven't looked at all 130 some teams to make that determination, but um, they do get to play Arizona at home. Uh, they should have no problem with that, and uh, we saw no reason to drop Oregon. <clears throat> Oregon has one of the best wins in all of college football this year, going on the road, playing an early game at Ohio State, um, which would have been like 9 a.m. their local time, and getting that win. So. No reason to dock Oregon for um, playing who's on their schedule and waxing them. And the same will probably hold true next week as they play Arizona at night, as we said, at home. So number four, Iowa, another easy win for them. Um, they They were the only team in the first two weeks that played a ranked opponent each week. We talked about that last week. And now this week they, they got Kent State and they beat them 30-7. to Their offense got on track a little bit since they had an easier opponent and they really didn't have to work too hard. And they are going to face Colorado State at home this weekend. So I, I expect that they're going to have another win uh, in hand at the end of the week. And then fifth, we actually – bumped our number five team which was Oklahoma last week uh, Oklahoma probably played Nebraska a little closer than they should have right so Penn State pops in to the top five they won their whiteout game they improved to over 500 in those games they're now nine and eight and they beat a ranked Auburn team gave them a little bit of trouble but now that they have wins over Wisconsin and Auburn, they're another team now that has wins over two ranked teams. And I just feel like they have a better resume than Oklahoma at this point. I'm not sure that's going to hold up, but I think fair is fair, and I think uh, Penn State deserves the uh, shot to get into the top five right now. Yeah, and you can only, you know, especially with guys like teams like Penn State and Oklahoma and things like that, I understand Oklahoma's handled their business, but at the same time, they've barely beat two teams that are not very good. Um, Nebraska and it was Tulane in week one, correct? I knew, I always get Tulane and Tulsa mixed up. but Yeah, it was Tulane. Yeah. Um, and I think look, Tulsa might have been a little harder, actually, but I, I'm not <laughs> sure how that's going to pan out. Yeah, but you look at it, and I mean, Oklahoma hasn't done enough right now for us to justify, and, and the fact is, these five teams right now are, are the best five in the country. Um, when you look at it, who's who's the most susceptible to losing first, would you say? Hmm. Um, out, of this, out of this group... You know, I, I honestly, you kind of caught me off guard. I don't have the schedules in front of me, but my guess would be Penn State because I think they're gonna they're gonna have to face Ohio State 
right, at some point. And Iowa wouldn't have to until they get into a Big Ten championships game situation. So Iowa's got that that Western Big Ten schedule, and I think if they yeah. can – their defense has been phenomenal. So what team in the Big Ten West is really going to threaten Iowa? And so my guess would be Penn State, honestly, because uh, they, they're going to have to face Ohio State. And that has uh, – James Franklin just hasn't done well in those games. Alabama, Georgia, I think they have a, almost a walkthrough to – I don't want to overuse that term, but I think they, they both have a very clear path to get to the SEC championship game and face each other. And then Oregon, uh, Pac-12 maybe is a little unpredictable, but Oregon going on the road and beating Ohio State might put them a uh, notch ahead of, of what we expect out of, big t- uh, out of Pac-12 teams. Yeah, and I just looked. Penn State and Iowa actually face off in, in- – Two and a half weeks. So there, there's your wow. first loss. Okay. So I didn't know either off the top of my head. So I just looked it up. So Penn State and Iowa, yeah, Oregon's schedule is a joke right now. Um, they would get Arizona. Stanford, I mean, Stanford is always tough at Stanford, but you would expect Oregon to handle, you know, Stanford and, and Cal. And then, you know, by then – one of Iowa or Penn State will have lost. So you could we could be talking number five versus number six in on October 9th, which would be a really fun game. Um, and that's at Iowa. So I mean, that's we talked about it. That's a tough place to play. Either either one of those places is a tough place to play. But you go on the road at Kinnick. You've got that emotional thing. You know where they're waving to the kids in the in the children's hospital there. Iowa gets up, and right now they are, um, I think, the team to beat in that Western division. And, you know, Penn State has a lot going for them. But Iowa, they've got one of the best running backs in the Big Big Ten in Tyler Goodson. They've got one of the best tight ends in Laporta. They're going to be such a tough out. Uh, at home so Penn State has their work cut out for them so uh, yeah I'll stick with Penn State let's move on to our uh, top five at, at the skill positions right now this is obviously early and these are draft eligible only obviously we're not gonna we're rank. doing rankings man rankings yeah. are fluid uh we're well we're not gonna <laughs> rank the guy that's probably been the best quarterback, you know, Bryce Young. We're not going to rank the best running back in Bijan Robinson or Travion Henderson. I was um, going to say Travion Henderson. <laughs> <laughs> but when you look at this this quarterback class, it started out with questions on Spencer Rattler and Sam Howell, the top two guys. Um, you know, you and I slightly disagree with this, and so we basically did a one A and one B situation. Um, you like, and and by the way, these are this. Our rankings are similar. Uh, it's just we have the top two flopped. So I I think Matt Corral is number one right now. You have Malik Willis of Liberty. Uh, why don't you start off making your case for Malik? All right. So Malik Willis. Um, he is, he has the strongest arm in the draft for me, and he's not only that, but he's the best runner. So combine those two things. He was a power five recruit. 
the question about him is going to be level of competition. You know, he plays his home games at Liberty, and they are, uh, I believe they're an independent team, but they're still an FBS team. He's a guy who is good enough to get recruited at Auburn, a guy who Auburn probably should have tried to hold on to if they could. But what I like about Will is What are you talking about? Bo Nix is phenomenal. Okay. Did you not see did you not see that fourth down pass he threw where he just threw it into the cheerleaders? <laughs> this is why, you know, recruiting rankings do matter, I think, because but many of the the best players in the NFL were high recruits, but the recruiters miss just like the draft Knicks do. Malik Willis, um, one of the things if you look at him this year, early on the year, you can tell he has taken some of the critique to heart. He's standing in. He's trying to throw from the pocket. The accuracy is improving. And um, the thing about this draft class that I want to talk about is I don't think this is a good quarterback class on the whole. So give me the guy early on. Give me the guy with the athletic upside, with the rocket arm, with the 4-5 speed, and a player who has gotten better every single year. And especially the last two years, he's going to have a test. And what's going to be fun is Malik Willis and this next guy that we're, we're talking about, Matt Corral, are actually going to go head-to-head later in the season. That's going to be really fun. Yeah, and, and that, that will make it more interesting, definitely. Malik Willis has 838 total yards, uh, 613-ish passing, and 225 rushing, seven um passing touchdowns and four rushing touchdowns on the season. He's been absolutely phenomenal. And he's doing a lot of that in, you know, two, three quarters of work. He's not there. He's not getting the Lane Kiffin treatment where uh, Matt Corral gets to run up the score on, on teams. Yeah. And, and the thing too is, you know, you can talk about Malik Willis's level of competition, which I think is a fair discussion, but you also have to talk about then his level of teammate which I think kind of evens out that discussion. Liberty hasn't, uh, hasn't balanced out uh, their recruiting to the point where I think it's on par with some of these other schools that, that are building programs. I mean, Malik Willis is the reason right now why Liberty is, a, uh, is some team that can contend from the position they are as a top 25 team. And we'll talk a little bit about their game coming up on Friday too. So let's get into Corral. And and so why do you like Corral over Willis? You know, and one, after watching, this is going to come full circle, I promise. But after watching BYU on Saturday night against, against ASU and how easy they make things for their quarterbacks – it is a concern with Corral because, like you said, things are easy for Willis, but his his teammates aren't the same. I mean, Corral's playing with guys that are probably going to get drafted, at least at, at the receiver position. Um, at the same time, he's playing at a level that we've seen before, but he he's taken – the mistakes away last year you know he completed nearly 71 percent of his passes he threw 29 touchdowns in 10 games um, he threw for over 3300 yards in 10 games this season 
he's on pace to shatter all of that. Through three games, just under 1,000 yards, 69% completion percentage, nine touchdowns. He is, and he's cut down on the turnovers. Now, one of the things that you talked about with Corral is that his biggest bugaboo last year was the fact that he had multiple five-plus interception games. And so that's what you're looking for from from Corral right now is can he take that next step and eliminate those, those cataclysmically bad games? Um, because every quarterback's going to throw interceptions. I mean, there's not ever going to be a quarterback that just never throws an interception. It's a matter of limiting the mistakes or... You know, if those mistakes are occurring on things like Hail Marys at the end of the game, stuff like that, like situational, where, where you're okay with it. You've but, got to analyze that and take those throws out of there. But when you're looking at, you know, those two games, 11 interceptions in two games is is really unacceptable. And But the fact was, he only threw three in the other game. So that's what you want to see more of this year. He's thrown none this year, so obviously that's improved, but... We also have to take into consideration Ole Miss is playing uh, teams like you and me. Um, you know that's about to change though. They've got a yeah. bye week this week, and then they got to go and play Alabama. So yeah, and so that's and I don't want to say the rubber that's meets good. the road there. Yeah, right. And I I don't want to say that you know is going to make or break Corral. One game doesn't, but. Over the next two games, Bama and then Tulane, or sorry, Bama and then Arkansas, if if he is only thrown two or three interceptions and they're not backbreakers, they're not in, you know, clutch time where they're still in the game, and he's still putting up good numbers, I think you're you're okay with with you know those those mistakes are going to occur, especially against the best team in the country. I, I um, kind of think that a, a win over Bama could make Corral, and and, and even a, a valiant um, performance in a in a loss if he doesn't turn the ball over. I kind of think that it. I don't think it's a break game, but I think it could be a make game. Well, it definitely could be his Heisman game because I mean he is yeah. shot up to to the top of the Heisman. List and so much that, to my chagrin since I put money on CJ Stroud, but whatever. But we'll see where he's at after this two game stretch, and then we'll come back to it. That's why we said rankings are fluid, but the two guys we mentioned are playing light years ahead of the next guy who's Spencer Rattler, who's supposed to be the guy coming into the year. And yeah, we talked about him like he was going to be the number one pick, and and maybe he still will be. I mean, there's there's a, he's he's going to play probably at least 10 more games this year. Um, but you look at it, and the numbers aren't bad. Uh, 75% completion percentage, but only 7.7 yards per attempt. Um, he's only thrown seven touchdowns to two interceptions. It's just not... It's just not been as easy as you would expect with the way their schedule looked coming into this year. Right. Uh, you had Tulane in a de facto home game. You had an FCS opponent, Western Carolina week two. You had Nebraska in a home game. And uh, it just hasn't uh, – Well, Nebraska was a, was a home game for them, correct? 
Uh, yeah, it was it was home. Okay, so twenty twenty three sixteen, he was fine again. It, but I think that's the word we use for him in those games is fine. And when you're talking about the potential number one pick, hmm. you you don't want a guy that was fine in a huge game. Yeah, and and, uh, and reminder, he's a redshirt sophomore, so. It, it used to be really unusual for a guy to come out as a redshirt sophomore, so he really maybe he could benefit from another year. We're, we're not going to make that judgment right now. But I think one of the things that stands out for me, Seth, is that he, he's kind of bailing from that clean pocket fairly early, and I think that's affecting his whole game. Um, you know, you, you may uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's one of the things that I'm seeing that's, that's a bit troublesome from him. You've had a couple of multi-interception games from him as well. Nothing to the level of what Corral had with the five interception, six interception games. But it's still something that's uh, we haven't really seen from this Lincoln Riley offense where he, he produced two number one picks and he turned Jalen Hurts into a second round pick. Yeah, and you look at it again, the numbers look nice. 77% completion percentage in game one and game two. But you you look at the competition, and that's kind of been our big thing today. Tulane, one touchdown, two interceptions. Nebraska, one touchdown, no interceptions. That's that's not going to cut it. And he's got you know an interesting schedule coming up here for Oklahoma, and this is going to be a real test because. They they are home again against West Virginia. Then they go to Kansas State. Then they're you know neutral field against Texas, and then they don't again play anybody. Texas TCU hasn't you know they've been okay at Kansas is you know Texas Baylor's awful. But then they get Iowa State late. Um, Iowa State's defense you know as bad as their offense has been, their defense has been that good. Uh, so. It may, it may not be until November where we really have a solid read on on Rattler, but he has not been as advertised or hoped for this year. Yeah, I think the big takeaway is Rattler shouldn't should not be the QB one if you're looking to draft a quarterback. I don't know that you really want to. This might be kind of like a 2016 or 2014 situation where you're you know, hesitant to spend a first-round pick on a quarterback. But if you're going to spend a first-round pick on a quarterback, I don't think Rattler would be your first choice at this point. The other two guys we mentioned beforehand uh, certainly playing better. Phil Jerkovic is a guy we put at four here, knowing that he's probably not going to end up as our quarterback four at the end of the season because – he has a broken hand and he had surgery and he's probably not going to play again this year. We don't even know if he's going to declare. But I thought that he was playing better than the other draft-eligible quarterbacks. Uh, you know, Rattler, we're making kind of an athleticism and arm strength projection with him. But Jerkovic has a good combination of size and arm strength as well, limits his negative plays, and was uh, showing enough mobility to limit uh any kind of sacks or, or uh, negative rushing yards plays as well, too. So Jerkovic, uh, I believe he was recruited by Notre Dame, might have even signed with them at some point. Yeah, he, he played two years at Notre Dame. 
Okay, so he was he was humming along at BC, and and then uh, as we mentioned last week, I think on uh, the Patreon show he he got knocked out and he's probably done for the year. It's really unfortunate, uh, but Jerkovic was a player that I thought had potential and was rising, and uh, we won't spend a lot of time. Did you want to add anything on him before we move to the next guy? No, and and our final guy is going to be Sam Howell. Um, yeah. He finally showed what everybody had been kind of waiting for this weekend against against Virginia. Um, that really was the good, last two weeks. He's yeah. he's been on point. That that was a good game by him. Um, you know we, and that's kind of what you've been waiting for. Um, we talked about it. He he came into a rough situation this year with how many players they lost on the offensive side of the ball that that really, you know, he was going to have to step up and be the guy. Um, he's a junior as well. I don't, I mean, he, he and he and Rattler at this point, I mean, they're not going to pay attention to you and I, but I, I recommend both these guys go back. You know, I think how, I, first of all, I don't think there's any way that they do go back. Um, I think they'll both declare after this year. But, how is um, more likely, in my opinion, to declare after this year? And the thing is, like, he's got a. We're we're gonna talk more about him on the Patreon show this week because we're gonna do a mock draft. So uh, go ahead, sign up. Two bucks a month, you get to hear our uh, top ten mock draft that's coming up. But we're gonna talk a little bit more about Sam Howell. I think the NFL is gonna like him more than we do. Um, I think that first game against Virginia Tech where he really struggled is kind of getting it thrown out because he did spark a comeback and he's he's got those intangibles that Kirk Herbstreet always likes to talk about. Toughness, gritty, you know, winner. And now you have Hal two weeks in a row. Not only is he passing the ball a lot better than he did in the first game with a bunch of new weapons, but he's also unlocked his mobility. He's running the ball. He's rushed for over 100 yards the last couple of weeks. So that's a new wrinkle that we didn't see coming from his game because we don't think he's a super athletic guy. He compares to Baker Mayfield in the athleticism department. I didn't even think he had that much athleticism. But he is uh, causing problems right now with his running ability. So is that something that's for real? I'm not sure. I don't really think it is. But the real key for me is that by being able to run the ball and knowing when to take off, you do limit those negative plays. And that is a key, and that is important. Whether or not you're athletic or not, to be able to take off and run in the right spot and lead your team to victory, that says something that's why Sam Howell's in the fifth spot. And noticeably absent from our top five is Carson Strong. We'll talk more about that as the season goes on. We've kind of already talked about him, but a lot of draft Knicks are going to disagree with us on that. He's dead to me, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> we'll, we'll save I have a, I, We'll, we'll I put have a pin a, I, in that and save it for another show because we got to get on to the running backs. Yeah, I have a new rule. If you screw me in one of my bets, I you're dead. So... <laughs> Running back. I don't have that rule, so just in case you're like a true draft Nick type, don't listen to Seth on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get to running backs. Uh, our running back one, Isaiah Spiller, um, hasn't changed, he, right? He's yeah, been he, our running he, back one. 
he looks good, and if you know, finally getting on track as well. A lot of these guys just started really slow this year. You know, Spiller is sharing the backfield with uh, uh, Shane, who's a, a true sophomore, and he has Ania Smith there too. And the, a lot of these teams that are deep, you know, they kind of like to spread the ball. I mean, you don't blame them for that. But Spiller did have uh, two weeks ago. He had had a good game receiving. This week, like you said, he got untracked on the ground. So um, the best thing I can say for why we like Spiller the best is he, he's going to have at least around four or five speed. And he and in my book, he has the best balance of any of these backs. The best combination of like a vision and balance. Kenneth and he's like two hundred twenty five pounds. Yeah, he's yeah, 6'1", 220. Kenneth Walker has played extremely well this year. You and I debated quite a bit whether he was running back two or three right now um, with with the guy. And, and I think you and I are both comfortable flip-flopping him if need be. I think the biggest question we have with Kenneth Walker is one receiving. He's caught three passes this year for 17 yards. He's got nine passes in his career. Now, I'm not going to hold too much against him about the six receptions at Wake Forest because, let's be honest, it's Wake Forest. But we want to see him, you know, utilized out of the backfield, catching the ball just a little more. Yeah, Running the ball right now, though, he looks, he looks extremely um, effective. He is incredibly good at at finding small space and getting through it quickly. Um, and and the most important, you know, part of his game right now is that he never goes down on first contact. 20 broken tackles already this season leads college football, according to Pro Football Focus. Um, that's, you know, that's a huge thing. Um, he also but, has a real knack for identifying the cutback lane. So it shows really good vision. Like, he's creative. It's and he's not blowing the the run that his blockers are setting up for him. He's he's actually trying to to go that route, but when it's not there, he's really good at recognizing that he's got space to cut it back. And I, that's what's really been impressive to me with Kenneth Walker. To me, he's not my number two, but he's encroaching on number two. Um, but the thing is, he gives me Kenneth Dixon vibes. Like he's He's got a uh, he's got a good flexibility, a good a good uh, vi- combo of vision balance. He's still only about 5'10", 5'11", 210. So he's got that kind of tandem running back feel to me. So like a third or fourth round space where he would go. Uh, I agree. I think he's got enough speed. I think he's got enough athleticism to be successful in the NFL, but I think I'm still going to – I know we've been kind of down on this guy, but I think I'm still going to slot Brees Hall at number two for me because although he hasn't shown the elusiveness in the open field that we really want to see, the fact that he can plant and go north-south, the way he cuts, the way he tries to set up his runs, I think that his lack of success thus far this season is not on him as much as it is on his blockers – and I think he can give you some contribution in the passing game. And the other thing I like about Hall is he's a bigger guy along the lines of Spiller, where he's about six foot, 220, 225. And um, I, 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 like, I think he's a better back coming out of 
out of uh, Iowa State than David Montgomery was. And Montgomery's been fairly successful. Uh, he, he didn't garner the hype that we saw from draft Knicks, but he's been fairly successful. And I, th- I think Brees Hall is kind of on, on that same track. He's getting a little bit too hyped. He's kind of coming back down to earth. But when you watch him, and I watched Walker and Hall. I told you this earlier. I watched Walker and Hall back to back, and I couldn't justify putting Walker ahead of Hall. Number four, a guy that we've liked and pretty hyped up pretty big on here, and he's he's played really well so far. Zach uh, Charbonnet out of out of UCLA, the transfer. We like to make fun of John, uh, Jim Harbaugh. We we can't right now because of how well the uh, Corum kids playing. But when you look at Charbonnet, he's, he's we still been, can. <laughs> yeah, we, we can still make fun of Jim Harbaugh. Anyway, when you when you look at Charbonnet, he's played you know excellent this year. Um, over ten yards per carry. He he had a down game against Fresno State, which was interesting. Only six carries for 19 yards, but he had two more touchdowns. He's already got six touchdowns on the season. Um, but, I mean, the whole UCLA team kind of crapped the bed on that one. Let's be honest. I think some people kind of kind of called that game out as a trap game. Like Fresno State, I think, is a better, a better team than people were giving him credit for, and that's shown. They gave Oregon a tough time. And then Oregon turned around and went on the road and beat Ohio State. UCLA starts out hot, a couple wins, including uh, beating LSU. And then they have trouble and uh, take one on the chin to, to Fresno State. But I think Charbonnet, you know, he's in, he's in a tandem backfield with Britton Brown. But look at this guy. He's six foot one. Charbonnet is six foot one, 220. He's got size on par with Isaiah Spiller and Brees Hall. We know he's been clocked at about 21 miles per hour in gameplay, so that puts him probably as a as a uh, four five guy or high four four guy. That's really good speed. He breaks a lot of tackles. I wish he was a little bit more elusive, and I guess as a whole, this running back class isn't shaping up great. But if you can get Spiller and Hall in the second to late second round, Charbonnet maybe third round, mid third round, early fourth. It's decent. You're going to get some decent running backs out of this class. It's not like that class was it 2014 where like uh, Carlos Hyde was the first running back taken. It's not quite on that level. You know, we've got we know we've got Bijan Robinson and Travion Henderson coming up down down the pike soon. We've got to be patient, and wait for these guys. But for now, we're seeing some running backs. You know, in these five that we're going to talk about, that are at least going to be valuable players in rounds two through four in April. And I'll let you talk about the fifth guy because I have not seen enough of this guy to put him at five, but I'm placing my trust in you. Yeah, right now, I mean, Rashad White out of ASU has played really well. Um, the last couple weeks, he's he's been more of a workhorse guy uh, than than the big play guy and, and but the thing that's impressed me about now White, and now not to interrupt but is is chip trianum uh injured is that yes. why okay yes. so that's He's why been out. white has been kind of the the muscle guy now 
Yeah, and so they've been using the young guy. Uh, I can't remember his first name, but Nada is the last name. Uh, I think I believe it's da- Daniel Nada. Uh, he's been kind of their their big play guy now. But the thing that's impressed me about White is he's you know he's running. He's getting a ton of carries, but he's also re- getting a ton of receptions out of the backfield. He had five against UNLV. And then he had nine against BYU. Um, he averaged over eight a reception and then over seven a reception against BYU. So he's showing that he's, you know, a versatile back. And in a class right now where there's a lot of question marks, um, he's the one guy that I could see being kind of your early third down back type. He's big, 6'2", 210 pounds. Uh, you know, he could be, he could be a guy that is a nice fit as the backup to like a Najee Harris type of guy, you know, when I, and so when you look at it from that perspective right now, because as we said, this class, we haven't seen exactly what we expected from anybody except, um, Kenneth Walker thus far. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned Najee Harris because I, I thought, like, in, in my limited exposure to White, like, he's built kind of like Kenyon Drake, who was the number two to Derrick Henry. And so that's kind of – that would be an interesting dynamic if you had uh, Rashad White with paired with Najee Harris. Although Pittsburgh seems pretty content to play Najee Harris 100% of the snaps, which <laughs> is wonderful if you have Najee Harris in fantasy football, as I do. Um, wide receivers. Let's kind of we'll kind of float through this because we've talked a lot about these wide receivers, especially the first two. They're uh, and and you and I are I think flip flopped on this, but we we agree so far that the top two players at wide receiver are Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. I like Wilson better. I think he's always open. He's sure-handed. He can play all three of the wide receiver positions. If you're talking about X, Y, and slot. I mean, I'm sorry, XZ and slot. And uh, he's a good contested catcher guy, contested catch guy, better than his teammate. I don't think he's as fast as Olave, but I think his projection to the NFL is a little bit better. Um, where that he can be a receiver one, where Olave, I think, trends more toward receiver two. And I, obviously, I'm an Ohio State guy. Like both of these guys, I'm very impressed with both their careers. But Garrett Wilson, to me, he was a hotshot recruit. He's done nothing to sully that, and uh, he's my wide receiver one. Tell me why Olave is better than Garrett Wilson. Yeah, my whole thing is typically with route running. That's what I look for. And and Olave... Uh, You're a member of route running Twitter. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They Um, loved Riley Ridley. Yeah, I don't know who I'm that just is. teasing I, you. I don't know who that is, though. <laughs> to be fair, um, but you know when you when you watch these guys play, Olave reminds me a lot of Devonte Smith, and they're built similarly. Um, you know, obviously he's not producing at the insane rate that Smith produced at, but I could see him being a similar type of pro where he's, mm-hmm. you know, like you said. He's a one A or one B receiver for a he team. He does probably, to be fair, have about 
18 or 20 pounds on Devontae Smith as well, even though we <laughs> well, say he's very slim. Yeah, well, I mean, let's be fair. Not not very many people can play at the weight that Devontae Smith plays at. And honestly, is. Wilson's not too – I mean, they're about the same size, Wilson and Olave. Yeah, so, I, you know, that's my biggest thing is he's he's the guy I feel like can – can get himself open more consistently. Um, I don't think you can go wrong with either of them. And I think, like you said, they're the clear top two guys in this class because our number three guy is a guy that, you know, shockingly has not been talked about a ton, um, at least in a lot of circles. And that's, he's a big man, Drake London out of, out of USC He's on pace for a monster season. Um, he he had, had a just, twelve catch game and a thirteen catch game. Well, and he's on. You know, he coming into the year he had seventy two catches for just under eleven hundred yards. He's literally on pace for that this season. He's already got three touchdowns. Um, you know, he is similar. I'm not going to say he's going to be as good, but he's similar to like a, a Mike Evans type receiver. He's a bully receiver, big bodied. Um, I think he fits in, you know, really well in what the NFL is doing right now and how they're attacking. I I really like the uh, I and and I don't think we've originated this. Uh, we we've talked about it with each other, but I like the Mike Williams comp. And the thing is, I was very, very high on Mike Williams. And I, and Drake London's tape hasn't been like that. Like, Mike Williams was, was a deep ball, jump ball threat that really, like, he and Johnny Manziel kind of made each other at Texas A&M, right? But London catches a lot more underneath stuff. But he doesn't have, like, Cortland Sutton type of body control. He's more a, a, a jump ball guy, but he can play it at every level of the field, right? Because he's got that basketball background. But what's really great, if you watch him, is how quickly he's able to catch the ball and turn up field and create yards after the catch. And then he looks really athletic doing that. I'm not really sure how fast he is, but I know he's explosive and I know he's a great vertical. Uh, he should jump around 30 uh, 36 to 40 inches you know Bruce Feldman had him at 38 inches so the fact that he it can get up field quickly pick up big yards at the catch he's not just a jump ball guy but he is a good jump ball guy I really like him I'm surprised that it kind of took us and other people so long to come around to him but he you know he's a player and I was talking to our buddy Ryan Lopes who uh co-hosted with me one week uh, way back when when you were out but i said man i this guy could end up being the wide receiver one in this class because you've got these other two guys wilson and Olave, who as good as they are they're still small and slim guys and uh you know wilson he might be more like a high four four guy low four five drake london's a mover for me in this class and he the way he's playing right now and dominating and with, you know, he had Keaton Slovis and then last weekend Jackson Dart had to come in, a true freshman, and Drake London doesn't miss a beat. He's still dominating. It makes you wonder why it took him so long at USC to make him the go-to guy. Next on our list is David Bell, the other receiver from Purdue. And 
how did Purdue suck so bad with David <laughs> Bell and Rondell Moore the last couple of years? Um, well, you have to have a quarterback and you have to have defense. And uh, uh, you, Moore you was hurt. And yeah, Moore was to hurt be fair, yeah. yeah, to be fair, Moore was hurt. But, you know, you look at it, uh, Bell is a 6'2", 205-pound, you know, receiver. You had a great take on this. I, I don't want to steal it from you. Go ahead. Okay. So, to me, David Bell is, is kind of what people projected out of Rashad Bateman last year. Like, he is similar to how Bateman played the game at Minnesota, except he has better hands and better contested catchability. And I'm not sure what the athletic uh, comp is going to be, but I would be surprised if, if David Bell is like a complete slug compared to Rashad Bateman athletically. So, you know, draft Twitter and the draft Knicks and the scouts in the NFL all talked themselves into Rashad Bateman being a an, an, uh, first-round pick. And he – that ends up coming to fruition. Unfortunately, the young man is hurt right now, so we don't know if he's going to be able to live up to that expectation. I've never thought that he – I've always thought he was more of a day two type of player. And remember, before you call me a hater, I just said that about Chris Olave too, who's getting mocked in the top ten of a lot of drafts and who went to my alma mater. So I'm, I'm being honest with you guys. David Bell, to me, looks like a better player – a better version of what Rashad Bateman was projected to be. So we'll see how that how that pans out. Um, he's already bigger than what Bateman was when he played in college. So keep that in mind as we go forward. And also keep in mind that I said Rashad Bateman was a day two pick. I did not say he stinks. Yeah, well, if you don't say that everybody's a first-round pick, you are saying they stink. <laughs> uh, the final guy is... Mostly a projection because this year, outside of one game, he's really been held in check. check. Outside and of that, one play, actually, Seth. Really yeah, outside and, of and, one play. And it's surprising because he plays for the 16th ranked team in the country, Arkansas. Uh, Traylon Burks, only 13 receptions for 206 yards, only one touchdown. Um, is this a matter of just quarterback issues or... Is, is Burks struggling under the hype? No. So, so it's neither one of those things in my book. I don't think he's struggling, and I don't think it's quarterback issues. I think he is being utilized in that kind of – you know, Pitt, Pitt did it with Tyler Boyd, and then we saw it really amplified with Colorado with LaVisca Chenault. So the, the question, I think, is – you know, Traylon Burks, he's like 6'3", 230. Is he Julio Jones or is he LaVisca Chenault? Well, the way Arkansas is using him is like LaVisca Chenault. So what we're seeing is within a couple of years of each other, Chenault 2.0. And I think Traylon Burks is actually going to be a little bit faster. He's He's got a little bit more straight line speed. So that's a bonus. But... What you see, why why are they running him out of the slot? Why are they throwing swing passes to him? He, is he capable of playing X? Is he capable of playing a, a flanker? I think he is in college, but they're trying to use him in a role where they can get the ball in his hands as many times as possible. But what you see is when guys that uh, go to these, you know, 
I'm going to say second tier schools in these FBS programs, right? Like these these Power Five conferences. A guy like uh, Burks, he might be the third receiver at a place like Alabama, where they have John Mechie and Jameson Williams who can run four fours and four threes. He's at Arkansas. He's the man. So they're they're going to create touches for him. They're going to. They're going to run these swing passes for him, almost like he's a running back. They're going to play him out of the slot where they get miss, great mismatches. And he makes the most of it. He's, he's very good at it. But you have to wonder how that translates. You know, Tyler Boyd's made a very good living, but also the Cincinnati Bengals later took T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. So he's not the most dynamic guy because they keep trying to improve upon that. That's what you're going to see in Jacksonville with Chenault. Already, you see he's a big high-volume target guy, but it's almost like handing the ball to a running back when they give it to him. Traylon Burks is, I think, a souped-up LaVisca Chenault, and uh, I don't think he is worthy of some of the hype that we've seen. We have one intriguing game this week before Saturday. Liberty... Still unranked. I'm kind of shocked by that. Liberty takes on um, Syracuse. This is their best game before they get into having to take on Ole Miss. Is this a must-win game for Malik Willis? And and how important is this game for Willis and Liberty as a as a pairing? I think it is. Um, Syracuse is two and one, but. They're very em, imminently beatable from uh, this standpoint. I mean, they're 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 not in any means a team on the rise or anything like that. They're solid and they they pose a good challenge because they're at home and they're another FBS team coming from a Power Five conference. Liberty's the favorite. They're they're uh, getting six and a half points and. But yeah, I think Willis does need this. He needs to he needs to win this game. He needs to limit his turnovers and hopefully keep it to none. And if they do win, I do think it puts Liberty in the top twenty five. Because what you're asking from a group of five team or an independent is go out and beat your power five opponents. So they can do that. Get in the top twenty five. And yet that like we said earlier, they've got Ole Miss coming up down the road. So uh I don't expect they'll beat Ole Miss, but I do think they beat Syracuse. Are they going to cover the spread? I'll throw that to you because you are the more experienced sports gambler. Yeah, I think Liberty, this is a a big game, the national TV game. Uh, Really the only kind of It's ACC network. But if you have certain cable companies, that has become uh, national TV recently. And so I think this is a game where you see Liberty come out and and put on a show. Hugh Freeze is you know have going to have his guys ready to make a statement in this game. Uh, yeah, I got Liberty uh, forty two to twenty four. Oh, big time, big time! You know what? I'll follow your lead. I'll take Liberty. I don't think it's going to be that bit that big of a, a, a gap, but I'll say. Uh, Let's say 31-20, Liberty. Before we get out of here... Real uh, quick, let me uh, let me mention my Hamlin Pipers. 
They defeated Minnesota Morris last week, thirty to twenty-eight. They're now two and zero, and they go on the road in Northfield, Minnesota, this weekend to take on two and zero Carlton. They're both two and zero. They both faced the same two opponents. They both beat them. Carlton actually beat them worse, so it could be a tough one for the Pipers on the road. But regardless, as always, you know what what I'm going to say. Go Pipers. That'll be it from us tonight. We'll be back. We get a hot take? Oh, we do have one if you got some time. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Uh, Damian Parsons at DP underscore NFL. Doesn't he he write for you? Yeah, he's he's a staff writer (laughs) at Revenge of the Birds. Someone is going to rank Kenneth Walker above Breesy Hall and Spiller more than likely. I'll tell you, I wouldn't hate them for it. This young man has great traits. Um, That's a good take for this show. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. So the Walker train starting to heat up. Is, I mean, we're going to get more into Walker as, as things go, but is this just a case of his numbers are so stupid good that that people are buying into him as opposed to really studying him thus far? Yeah, and I don't think your guy is, is, is doing that because I think he, you know, I see him post clips all the time, you know, so I know he's watching and, and, and breaking down the clips. But, um, yeah, I think this is kind of like, uh, I mean, it's not as egregious, but it's kind of like when people are starting to put uh, Kenneth, well, I'm sorry, uh, Kenneth Dixon ahead of Ezekiel Elliott back in 2016. Don't let yourself get into that trap. Isaiah Spiller is still better than Kenneth Walker, and so is Brees Hall probably, probably. I mean, look, watch them back-to-back and tell me what you think, and you can email us at thedraftbreakdownpodcast at gmail.com, or you can tweet us at db underscore pod, or you could tweet me at AFC to NFC, or you could tweet Seth, but he won't respond to you. But do that. Watch those guys back-to-back and tell me which one's the better prospect. I like Walker a ton, but... I cannot put him ahead of, of Hall and Spiller as a prospect. It's just not going to work out for you if you do that, I don't think. Anything else before we get out of here? No, thanks to uh, thanks to all of you for uh, listening. Please like and subscribe. Give us a five-star review. Subscribe to our Patreon. It's two bucks a month for the extra episode. Four bucks a month, you get our uh, bonus articles like my box score scouting that comes out every Monday. So and that's where I tell you about a lot of these guys that we talk about and I go into a little bit of depth too. So, uh, But as always, thanks. And uh, we are loving this college football season so far. Thanks for listening. As always, we'll be back later this week with our Patreon episode. We need to do an outro at some point. Just something kind of... What I hear in other shows is where they're like, uh, you know, uh, subscribe and give us a five-star review. Sign up for our Patreon. It's $2 a month for our bonus episodes, $4 a month for all additional content. Something like that. Yeah, we should work on something like that. That could be it right there. A read, yeah. That's it. Exactly. (laughs)